and welcome to another episode of Toolbox Takes. Uh, this is our second episode now. You can find us on all the uh, major audio platforms, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, as well as on YouTube. So regardless of where you're seeing us, we uh, enjoy lis- enjoy having our listeners and uh, and watchers on YouTube. And uh, thank you for tuning in once again. Uh, today, we've got a very special guest for you guys, um, David Jordan. David is the uh, is the managing director of New Rock. They do a variety of different things. Um, they specialize, though, in uh, in... Uh, insulation, condensation management, and passive fire. Uh, David Jordan's been in the industry for about 25 years, so a hell of a lot of experience in the in the construction industry. And we are very, very pleased to have him on board. David, tell us a bit about yourself and um, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Well, firstly, thanks for the invite. Um, I'm uh, deeply uh, humbled to be uh, uh, victim <laughs> number two, if you want to put it that way, but very pleased to be here. Look, I, I think... Um, I think from my end of things, just by way of brief intro, so after finishing school and uni, entered the industry 25 years ago, um, and I guess predominantly that time's been spent in the insulation space, in and around thermal, acoustic, passive fire, all that sort of stuff, um, if I'm to just generalise. And I guess I started New Rock five years ago with a real passion for um, making sure the industry was doing it right. Uh, because I, you know, I sort of believe that there were some gaps in how people were approaching the space. And so, if you, you know, if you look us up, look up New Rock, our um, our ethos, our our call to action is protecting people and property. So uh, that's what that's what we're about in the space that we're in. So hopefully, that's a that's a, yeah, a bit beautiful. of a segue um, as to what that, we that do. Honestly, warms my heart to hear that. <laughs> um, as, look, better building practices is what we're all about. Uh, I think you absolutely <laughs> hit the nail on the head there in that. Um, there's just a lack of education um, around the space. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of builders across the country, and and unfortunately, yeah. uh, the the message is kind of lost in translation sometimes. And education is just, it, whilst it's accessible, it's not necessarily always accessed yeah. by those that can. Um, so that's what we obviously try and do here at Toolbox Take. So, um, twenty five years of experience, yeah. mate. So obviously, that's a that's a long time. <laughs> um, so what are some of the more memorable experiences you've had in the industry? And uh, yeah, exactly. Um, it is. And is there anything specific that sort of jumps out uh, as to on your journey? Look, um, I, I think the first thing I'd say is, um, you know, we're, we're very gifted in this industry that we have such a, a huge range, a huge, huge array of people with varying backgrounds, skills, smarts, education experience um and so if you said to me what's the most memorable thing well really i guess most of my memories and the things that i've found most memorable have actually been the interactions with with people um and when i entered the industry too because i didn't come from a building background whatsoever um i really learned from the ground up i was very lucky in that i joined an organization and it probably instilled in me the values i have today in my own business and that i've sort of carried with me through my career that being i worked with a bunch of um i worked with a bunch of and was mentored by a lot of people uh within a business who really uh had a deep passion not only for uh getting it right but actually sharing that knowledge with others um in in the hope that People learnt, were upskilled, 
or just day to day from one experience or one project to the other could take their learnings from that one project or that one experience and take it forward with them to hopefully make them building yep. better building professionals, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, so I guess people, I guess in terms of projects, um, there's <laughs> yep. been a lot in 25 years. Um, but look, probably the more uh, landmark projects have actually been ones that have involved a lot of lateral thinking. Um one in particular that comes to mind, which when I say this, you're going to look at me and go, really? Uh, was um, a number of years back when redevelopment was going on in Brisbane with the introduction of the tunnels and underground services and everything else. They they built yep. the King George bus station, which is located on King George Square. Uh, and one of the design principles was we want an insulation that is aesthetically pleasing, that sits up behind the pyrolytic panels that are glass uh <laughs> that no one can see that's black in color um and in addition to looking good if there's a diesel fire uh must have a maximum service temperature or a minimum service temperature as in it can't burn or melt at no under pressure. 450 degrees um <laughs> anyway I was, no pressure uh and working with pretty major stakeholders you know queensland government Brisbane city council um leighton's with a builder I can't remember who the fire engineers were, but they're a large fire engineering business. Um, and here's me kind of going, well, I haven't been given this brief before. Um, but anyway, we, we actually worked out a way to use a, a um, non-combustible high-density rock wall um, that we then, rather than facing and gluing, which then causes combustibility issues, we actually wrapped it with a black glass cloth and of course glass is non-combustible so a black glass cloth um and then um and then because the rear of it was actually all uh taped with a fire rated tape uh that was then pressed up hard against the suffete which meant all of the edges were um totally concealed um and when you looked from underneath you had this beautiful black finished insulation that had high sound absorption but in the case of a fire was not going to have any combustibility or fire carrying properties to it whatsoever. So that, that's probably that's probably one of the weirder projects I've been involved with in terms of something different. Um, I guess outside of that, it's really just the thrill of, um, you know, helping people and actually helping them find solutions to suit, whether that's a home project awesome. I, or a major I, project. That would have been an so. awesome thing to just sit back and go, wow, I've just accomplished something that I didn't know was possible. And managed to do it with that sort of accuracy and result would have been awesome. So that that was pretty cool. I I, I need to say there were some really <laughs> uh, smart people from a technical and engineering point within our business nah, was who were helping you. with that. So I'm not taking all the credit, but um, been a pretty pretty landmark project. That's cool. and that is, that's, that's very so. much one of the uh, coolest stories that I've heard about in the installation side of things. So. Um, obviously you've got the, the three different parts of the business. So you've got the insulation, which is your, your bread and butter and, uh, you've got your condensation management and then your, your fire, yeah. your passive fire as well. Um, have you sort of, you know, developed the other two as you've gone along or is it just yeah, always sure. been the, the three, uh, principles and projects that you've worked on or. Look, um, I think it, the way I'd put it is, um, insulation and condensation management yes, kind of go absolutely. hand in glove to begin with. Um, so they have always kind of traveled, traveled along together. Um, I think what's probably happened is that, you know, if you went back, say, even two years ago, when you spoke to people about condensation management, <laughs> they were, what? Um, 
it was kind of like, what do you mean? What's what's condensation management? And and I guess the answer is, um, it's something that we should always have been doing that we just haven't yep. really termed in the right phrase. Um, so getting back to your, your core question there, I guess insulation and condensation management have always traveled along together. Where passive fire kind of fits is, is probably not so much the residential space, but in the commercial space, um, and, you know, going back to the reasons that I founded the business was, um, you know, we're all aware of the tragedy of Grenfell. Um, and you had a series of components there that just uh, was sort of siloed off from each other. And, and people very clearly either uh, had had incorrect product selections or poor quality of work or whatever the outcomes were. Ultimately, those different products weren't working together. And so I, I kind of looked at the market and said, well, no one else is really doing this, yep. um, but they should be. And so the passive fire part, it, it, like it is genuinely in its infancy. We're, we're probably about a year and a half into pushing that part of the market. Um, and really at this stage, it's it's probably a smaller part of what we do. But as um, the need for getting, you know, uh, energy efficiency in commercial right, and then coupling that with the right anti uh, condensation management products, and then having the right pacifier products as part of those facade systems in tow as well. Um, you know, I guess the longer term vision is that all of those products are, are working um, as a system versus just as independent and, silos. Uh, yeah, obviously from process. a uh, from business standpoint, it makes sense for a builder or uh, someone that was looking at all those three products just go straight to you for a solution. And that's essentially what you can do is offer an all-encompassing solution that answers all of those questions that do at some level all intertwine and overlap each other. That, that's the goal. That's the goal. I mean, everything that we do is designed to really make... Um, you know, the journey, if you want to term it that for our customers easier. Yeah, that's, perfect. that's what we, um, so this about. one's a bit of a doozy. I'm going to, uh, this probably starts off on a bit of a rabbit hole, but I'm okay with that. If you are, um, <laughs> let's go. Sure. Yeah. So what are some common misconceptions about the industry and what are the ongoing challenges facing currently? So when I, when I say that, obviously I'm probably encompassing the two big ones, which is, you know, your insulation and condensation management. Um, a lot's going on at the moment. Um, you do know a lot yeah. about the industry. And in fact, I do, uh, I love our chats because often I learn a thing or two about uh, different things. So, but what are those misconceptions and, um, what do you think the ongoing challenges are at the moment? Look, the, the, let's start with the misconceptions. Um, I think if you look to the history of the industry, particularly insulation and, you know, as we've just identified it, the bit that's hand in glove that goes with it is condensation management. I think the misconceptions are, they kind of go back to pre-mandatory energy efficiency, um, where, you, you know, it was, I mean, I remember when I entered the industry in 1998 or whatever it was, um, there was no compulsory requirement for builders in residential or commercial to introduce insulation into a building. And really the reasons it was done was either the homeowner decided they wanted it or the builder decided that it differentiated them from their competitors. Or in the case of commercial, a mechanical engineer said, for the air conditioning load to keep up with what we're is required here, we need to insulate the building, and they did. So that meant that from a um, market entry point of view, mm -hmm. it was a pretty tough sell, you know. Um, 
very hard industry to be in and and it really was about um it was almost a push process and because it was a push process I guess some of the personalities are in and around that space were fairly hard-nosed salespeople, you know, very just driven on making the sale. That's evolved immensely since sustainability was introduced to the building code in its earliest format in 2003, and I was around for that. So I saw that introduced firsthand. I witnessed how, you know, the whole industry, um, probably a little bit like we are now, (laughs) kind of went, oh, my gosh, change. Um, and, and the people working within it all of a sudden, uh, got the opportunity to really show their wares and problem solving ability. Some of them were really good at that. And some of them were really bad at that. And so here we are 20 odd years later, and I guess the two misconceptions are, um, the knowledge level that's contained with the industry. So what I mean by that is that there are people within our space um, who I think kind of, you know, their experience is the hard-nosed sales person that's just out there pushing a product. Um, and then there's probably the other experience that people have that is, oh, no, these guys know their staff and they're here to help me and provide solutions and, and whatnot to help me get to my end goal, whether that's meeting Section J, whether that's meeting Part 3.12 of the Residential Code, whether that's meeting the fire requirements, whether that's meeting the health and amenity requirements. They're, you know, they get that there are businesses around to do that. So I, I think that's a really big misconception. Um, yeah, on, part ongoing two the challenges, challenges that we're facing challenges? currently. Um, I th- yeah, look, I... I think probably the biggest challenge that the insulation sector and probably the building sector at large um, really faces is uh, attracting new talent. Um, and, and what I mean by that is that, you know, if you think about our product, it's not like selling a kitchen bench top or a so cladding or, a, you know, <laughs> sexy flooring product that, blow something away. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm probably a bit the same with you guys too, right? Your product's kind of sitting up on the roof doing its thing. Our product's sitting in a wall or a ceiling um, or behind a wall, um, as in wall cladding, um, or wrapped around a pipe or whatever it happens to be. And with a little bit of luck, yeah. no one has to think about it for the when life of the When it's working properly, you it don't notice it's thing, even there. Right? <laughs> um, that's right. It's just doing its thing. So, you know, um, when I say bringing new people into the industry, um, if you look around the industry right now as a whole in the insulation space and you go across all the major manufacturers and businesses like ours, I don't think I'd be too far astray in saying there's – uh, more than 20 people Australia-wide who have more yep. than 10 years' experience in the space. And and that's a huge... Uh, that has a huge impact on what information is available out there and probably leads to some of your earlier co- comments about accessibility of information. Um, I think the other really big um, uh, shortcoming that's come with time is... Um, um, and it's funny because it's the double-edged sword. Um, there's the double-edged sword of uh, employers spending time educating their people so that they offer a better level of solution and, and outcome for their clients. Yeah. But that training obviously comes with a cost. And then if there's one thing we've probably seen, particularly in the last decade, 
fluidity of people's career path um, is very different to what it was when I entered the industry. And so then the hard part that really at the end of the day, employers like me and others need to grab onto is what do we do to make sure that we keep not only attracting smart people who want to be part of what we're about, because there's a fair bit of science and engineering and actually a bit of thought in what we do these days versus <laughs> what 25 years ago looked like. Um, how do we keep attracting the best and the brightest? Not only that, as, as an industry, how do we retain them? How do we keep them engaged and wanting to be in the space? And, you know, and one of the big visions that we have within our business that we just keep reiterating is when we actually go through the process of hiring people, we talk about a career path. We talk about what they want to be doing. We make sure that when we're recruiting people, they're actually passionate about making a difference with whether that's their clients or their idea of making a difference to the planet or just making buildings safer or better, whatever it is, we're getting engaged people and carrying them through. So I see that as a real, a real yeah, challenge I mean, within building the science is, um, is evolving too. And it's, it's, I wouldn't be too far off to say that I think education oh, yeah. to, for themselves, you know, some people that want to pursue to understand better building practices, um, methods that you know, aren't conventional in Australia that are popular overseas that you could you know, adopt over here and educating themselves to be better so that they can provide better solutions. Those people aren't really just falling off trees you know they a lot of people just want to do what they know how to do and just keep writing that book and then you're all good to go um so that opportunity or the, the people that are striving to be better it's really yeah. hard to come by and i always fall back to um yeah, the hardest thing in business is finding the right people and i think that is ever present in every industry but um yeah particularly this space for sure very much so and then the other so the other thing I just wanted to add to that, I guess, is, um, you know, within the bounds of all of that, of getting the right people engaged and on board and everything else, that that retention of people and that retention of knowledge is really, I think some of that also comes out of that. Um, I, th I think there's, there's, there's a part of the community, be it what it is, that kind of looks at the building industry and goes, that's kind of where you go when you're not necessarily the best and the brightest. Exactly. And yet yep. that's actually quite the opposite. So there's a lot of really smart people within our space Absolutely. and we just need to get the word out. There um, all right. So, so the next one. Um, so I suppose the big uh, elephant in the room, the NCC. Um, obviously big, big changes and big challenges recently. I know you are dealing with this head on, mate. So... Uh, got the right person involved, but um, so talk us through yeah. mate, like how you're navigating builders right now um, through well, the changes. You know, the key word that you, you've mentioned a couple of times there yes. is the word change, right? That's, that's the one that everyone, so my question to you would actually be, what's the, what's the biggest or the greatest emotion that you have or the impact that hits you? When someone says to you, says to you, whether it's at work or at home or, you know, the sport that you watch, whatever it is, we need to make change. Most of the time, what's, it's what's the emotion <laughs> Absolutely right. So I think the thing that I really see with that is um, I, I look at that fear and anxiety and I see that as being totally reasonable for... Uh, anyone in the building profession, because for most people, unless you're a multinational, for most people, 
uh, that change has a direct effect on your business and your livelihood and what you do day to day. Like, so I totally get that. So we've, we've really tried to take an empathic approach with what, what we're talking about. Um, and, you know, I guess the other thing is too, we talk a lot about um, the builder and the building professionals and the trades and the like, but the other side to that, that I, that I sometimes think the message is lost um, uh, is also is, you, you know, ultimately the end users of a lot of our products are the people yep. who are, who've got a dream of building a home. So they want to build a home and someone comes along and says, oh, change. Um, with change comes a whole heap of things and potentially that person has their bubble burst, the dream squashed or postponed and I can't build my house for another however many years, right? So I think that's the other thing that often gets missed in this conversation is that component too. So there's not just education in terms of the builder space, but there's also a little bit of education that needs to happen in the consumer space about, I know it sounds scary, but here's the other part of the equation, right? So I, I get all that. So not helping that discussion is, and I'm going to sound like a thousand <laughs> other podcasters that talk about controversial change-based issues from time to time. Um, we operate in a 24-7, there's no switch for off media cycle oh, yeah. that likes having a negative chat when it needs to. Now, I'm not saying that there's not negative content or room for improvement in how things get done or anything. I'm not making that commentary. What I'm saying is that you've got a lot of negative chatter that happens that perpetuates and then ultimately has an effect on the poor guys and girls trying to build, design, specify, um, approve and manage the construction process. And then at the other end of that, you've got the poor old homeowner who's going, do I, do I even bother picking up the phone and ringing someone about building a house? Because the media now tells me it's going to cost me a lot more. So I, I think there's all that. So at our end, what we've really tried to do is provide educated, factual, unemotional information for those looking for it. Um, I really think that um, some of our smarter customers are the ones who've probably taken the early steps by actually engaging, you know, key stakeholders in the process. So what I mean by that is they're talking to their insulation supplier, they're talking to their condensation management supplier, if it's someone different, they're talking to their NATHERS neighbours provider, they're talking to their glazing company and they're working their way through. And we've really been almost partnering with um, our builders in the sense of tell us what you need and we'll give you whatever information we can to assist you in that journey. Um, I think there's more to be done in that space. And then I think the other side to that is... Um, you know, by having having those kind of iterative, sorry, iterative discussions where you work your way through the process, um, you can't, you, you don't just necessarily have to have a talk about compliance. You can also have a talk about cost-effective compliance. Like is method Absolutely. A smarter than method B? Um, and to do that, and, and to do that, um, I really kind of feel that, um you know, in that iterative discussion, everyone needs to come with the mindset of making sure that uh, everyone has a win 
and not yep. one person Absolutely. wins. Yeah, because that's that's the, that that's sense? a true compromise is when so you know, no party really you, wins, right? Everyone loses equally. <laughs> well, well, that that's right, and 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 I think the thing is too, right, is that um, a few of the uh, more positive signs that I've seen in terms of embracing the change is uh, a few people actually like being on the front foot and starting to change their headspace, which is we're one of the early adopters of seven star construction, or this is what we're doing to, you know, educate our customers. And or they're also going through that process of sitting down with the stakeholders and saying, look, um, we all win, or a couple of you lose, and a few of us win. But if we do it together, it's an all win scenario. And I, you know, probably encourage anyone that's in the building profession end of things, no matter what your role is, to adopt that approach. Um, I think that gets far greater gains. And and we've certainly seen we've certainly seen that over over the whole of what we've been doing. Uh, rather than just, you know, going, well, I've got to comply, it's all pretty scary. Um, I'll listen to everyone else, including the media, rather than just breaking it down into the sum of its yeah. parts and figuring out how to get it done. You know, because the thing is, too, with this change, you know, you've got two mm-hmm. components. You've got the energy efficiency component, um, which at the end of the day um, really varies around what sort of house you're building, orientation, the materials, so using, the colours yep. of the house you're using, where it is geographically. Are you up on a mountain or are you down on a plane? Um, you know, and then are you slab on ground and post, post and platform? Because all those things make a difference. And then part two of that whole equation is whole of house. And so that's really driven by appliances, solar power, mm-hmm. hot water, air conditioning. Um, and then I think the, um, the other bit that goes with that and probably even worth um, really talking about is... Um, Traditionally, probably what we've taken is almost a, a cookie cutter approach to how to solve energy efficiency. It's like this part and this part and this part together, that's deemed to satisfy tick box. Yes, great. The way that this has all been developed now is really much more a, um, a holistic approach. Um, and so you can't really, uh, I guess you can, uh, I think if you go through the pro- the approach of that siloed, I'm going to plug in this product, this product, this product, this product, and just get the cheapest, that's not necessarily giving you the best result. And I think in the long run, for a lot of people, it actually be the yeah. more expensive way to build. Absolutely agree. Um, like I think you've touched on quite a lot of the things that I would have, um, if I was to chat to someone on the street that was talking about um, these changes, which is fantastic. So we're both, both in the same mind uh, mindset there. Um, one of the things you touched on was the, the negative media, which is all, all you see. And that is a hundred percent accurate. I mean, building approvals are down 30% that estimated. And I think it's probably more than that. And it's because it's been perpetuated everywhere that building costs are going up and ev- everything's going up. And obviously we've got the, the price of, uh, the interest rates and a whole bunch of different, you know, yeah, negatives on the building industry right now. It doesn't help when a current affair are running articles saying, "Oh, it's going to cost around seventy thousand yeah. dollars on, on for, for a new home," and I was just like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> um. So, what are your estimates for like the average return? Because I think yeah. that there's a big difference. I think every builder is different because builder A and builder B were not building the same home before. 
So from builder A to go to it, it might be a lot less than builder B, but that's not represented no. in the media. Um, so do you have like sort of your average cost estimate this Look, stage I, or yeah. I know it's early or late. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Look, it's cool. So uh, knowing full well at some point in today's interview, you might ask me about nice. cost. I actually went and talked to a builder, <laughs> one of our bigger builders who's in the who's in the project space um, here in Queensland. And, and, you know, like he made some really astute points. Um, so I think the first thing is if we if we wrap our heads around the the uh, the media stuff, most of the media is yes. you know, represented out of Sydney or Melbourne. So that's part one. In which position his attitude was outright. Uh, the, the median home build price in Sydney or Melbourne is between seven hundred and eight hundred thousand wow. dollars to build a house. So if you take that and you hold it in proportion, then obviously the cost of making these changes proportionately will be higher than it is locally here in Queensland, as an example. The other side to that, and something that he import, you know, stressed quite fervently, yeah. it also depends what kind of house you're building. So their estimates based on, you know, their cost of building here uh, in southeast corner of Queensland was, if you're building a two-storey home, um, and you know, and and this is a drive from energy efficiency and whole of house. Uh, he's saying between twenty and thirty thousand for a two-story yeah. home is the added cost. Now is the other part of the equation, but if you're building a single-story home, wow, single-digit thousands, very realistic. Which you know, uh, yes, very realistic. Um, and I and I look at it and I go, and I'm not dismissing the fact that it's more expensive because obviously it is. And for some people, that's the difference between being able to afford it and not being able to afford it. I also think, though, going back to our previous topics, with some smart engagement of the right people, there's probably even a little bit of work to be done there to make that even, yeah, even less than that. So. You know, I'm not saying if it's nine thousand, it can be dragged down to two thousand. But if it's nine thousand, maybe it can be dragged down to seven and a half thousand. I don't know, but the reality is, it's a single digit thousands difference, not seventy thousand um, dollars. And and so I guess the other thing um, to that end too is just a reminder in Queensland that the QDC actually has exemptions in place for the next eighteen months. So if you're building a new home that's on an allotment that's less than 12 and a half metres wide, um, in certain circumstances, the new NCC requirements do not apply at all. The second part to that is if you have a house that's undergone significant design work um, or is undergoing approval before October, the October deadline, NCC 2022-23, yep. whatever you want to call it, doesn't apply. So the old 2019 requirements kick in. Um, the other interesting consideration, and, and this is just something that, you know, we've been spitballing internally as a business and with a couple of our, I guess you'd say, key suppliers and partners in the space, is, you know, you've got two parts to this. So part A is, you know, essentially 
insulation, um, weather resistive or airtight barriers, which builders refer to as being builders paper, builders wrap, right? And then the other end of that equation is the whole of house. Now, you know, I guess the question I'd ask you is, or well, I'll put it to you this way, another way. You've got four or five big ticket items that really affect that whole of house component. So you've got appliances, hot water, solar, and cooling slash heating, depending on where you are. Um, what a lot of people skip in this whole process is that when you get your neighbors or your neighbors assessment, uh, the software is actually written in such a way that there's a uh, maximum number and a minimum number of air changes that actually should happen in the home to ensure yep. that you meet that star rating. Now, I guess the other thing that I'd add to that is that, um, you know, if you have a look at how we approach that, what that looks like, um, there is still a lot of confusion in our market about what weather-resistive barriers and airtight barriers mean and what their effect has on construction and has with compliance. Partner off the back of that, that there's a great study that um, most people should really get their head wrapped around, which um, which I'll, I'll actually um, provide some info for. And if Love you to, like, yeah. Chris, that you're welcome to share with people. Um, but there's a great, great study that's been done on um, air tightness and and uh, moisture management in homes. And I think the scary number is something like 40% of them that have been constructed are probably going to Which have condensation crazy. around the country. Do you think that a, part of that is, number. I think you touched on it lightly there as number. well, um, the way that people live has changed over the last 20, 30, 40 years and people don't open windows. They just run the aircon 24-7. It's a completely, yeah. So you yeah, don't get absolutely. those air changes. A absolutely. But here's, so here's the thing. If, if, you're a, if you're a person who really wants to buy a new home um, and your dream's just been squashed by the media and, you know, the, the whole added cost is now making it beyond your reach, Um. And I'm not saying that this is a silver bullet because I don't believe in silver bullets in this space because it's a case by case basis. But what I'm saying as an example, one of the discussions we've been having in house is when you're looking at this whole house equation, um, when you build a home, um, really the weather resistive barrier or the airtight barrier outside of the building, if it's installed the right way and is project managed the right way, and guys like me go out and educate builders and trades and keep them on board with what it should look like when it's done. Um, the reality is there's a lot of learnings to come out of other house design types. And by no means am I saying that this, <laughs> this is what we should all be doing. But if you look at the passive house movement, the passive house movement largely relies on putting your membranes up to best standard, minimizing the number of penetrations that you've got coming into the home um, naturally cross ventilating and ventilating the building in a way that you actually minimize the need or you reduce the amount of cooling and heating load that you need in the building because it's just built, built to a slightly better standard. The irony is the difference between, uh, a terrible, 
um, weather-resistive barrier and the airtight measures that are taken and doing it really well yeah. is at most a few hundred dollars per home. This is this is not sheep stations we're talking about. So um, I guess the message for builders and for potential homeowners is, um, you know, look at the role that that plays. And if you feel you can get it right, if you feel that you're engaged with the idea of getting that right, maybe there are some ways that you can look at reducing the loads of some of those things that are going to have a massive effect on your whole of house report, which, you know, the indication that I got from that builder today was that in two story builds, particularly the whole of house report was the bit yeah. that was really yeah, stacking which makes up a little more sense. Um, and look, um, it's obviously the right way to go. I think that the, there's, there is this constant battle, and, and I, I bring it up quite often between energy efficiency and condensation management. Because obviously, as you know, as as you increase one, then you you increase, yeah. increase the risk of the other. And um, there's not really not again education in that space, right? There's not really much knowledge in it. There's no one really having those conversations. The positive messages are always about energy efficiency and how much benefit that's going to have yeah. to your home and to the environment and everything else. Condensation management to the homeowner definitely not even a thing that they even consider it's something that they would generally rely on the industry professional the builder to be able to guide them through that process and it's yeah. an afterthought really um how do you see that and what do you think is the yeah, best way to right. move forward in managing both it's a it's a it's a good question and, and there's a lot of layers to it um so the first part is um absolutely industry needs agree. to wrap their head around it um, I won't say what I won't say what function I was at because I don't <laughs> want to throw a rock. But I was at an industry function. I was at an industry function recently, where a technical keynote speaker stood up the front and said, "Oh, and in Queensland there is no change to requirements for condensation management in Queensland with the new NCC." Yeah, and that's just outright wrong. There might be a perceived no change. But that's not correct, because if you actually look at the health and amenity requirements in the NCC, there is a totally different onus on the builder than there has been ever. And they are long-standing requirements that if you read between the lines of the text, they're not about, you know, your builder's warranty. It's almost being treated as if it's a, you know, the wage structure. Is I actually have that excerpt. Right. So, and if you think about it, that kind of uh, makes sense. Hold on, I have that right here. Yes. Yeah, so the the actual right? um, the part of the code H H four F seven condensation and water vapor management building elements in areas subject to water yep. vapor and condensation must be constructed to reduce the risk within uh, of the building occupants, which is a absolutely massive clause. It's not snuck in by any state any measure. Like it's it's pre it's fairly yeah. clear to see. <laughs> no, it's. It's, it's plain as day. I think the bit that's caught a lot of people out and why there's just this kind of, or oh, we don't want to talk about it or those thing is that there's that no deemed to satisfy yeah. solution. It's there's like, nothing in there that go. tells you this how is, to achieve that. And so the onus goes no, back No, no, no. Um, you need to do the proper research and understand that you're, how you need to build the building properly. And which they just, I mean, part of the reason why the NCC exists is because builders just like to have a form that says, yep, I did it to this standard and this is what you're asking me to do, right? This doesn't have that component. Well, and I, and I think, 
Yeah, and, but I also think in fairness, the other thing is too, when someone's asking you to build to a set of outcomes, you need someone to tell you what those outcomes need to look like, which is the other reason that an NCC exists to begin with. But I guess, so I think industry needs to really grab hold of that. I think the second part is certainly at our end, um, we're about to start really doing a lot of consumer-based education in and around the importance of condensation management, air tightness, the relevance it brings, and and really focused in on the uh, health and amenity side of it. Because uh, I guess, you know, if you look at a lot of the things that people care about in their home, it's longevity of the home and the health and well-being of the occupants, right? Um, and hey, we, we care about protecting people, people, yep. people and property, right? That's our thing. So it's in keeping with that. The second thing, and actually, if you don't know where that comes from, if you go back to a slightly older version of the building code, when it was back when it was the BCA, the core yep. objective was protecting people and property. So that's where that stems from. So the second part, so you are, you know, essentially industry needs to do it. Um, I guess businesses like ours and manufacturers need to raise awareness with homeowners so they get it right. And then the third part is, and, um, you know, where this kind of touches is um, if you're a building professional, this is a slow burner. If you don't do this right, it's not like it's going to no. sort of be there tomorrow. It's going to hit you in 10, 15 years time. Um, and for some people that might be okay, but others might look at that and go, well, that's something, I'll, that's a risk I'd rather mitigate, right? So, um I guess without polarizing the room too much, the general consensus is that condensation management is something that as an industry, we do really poorly. Um, but the thing I would say is, and where that balances up with energy efficiency, it comes back to the discussion we were having in the last little segment about, yep. you know, looking at air tightness and what that can mean for other things in the whole of house equation. Obviously that, links into energy efficiency because if you've got too many air movements if you've got um, a scenario where the house leaks like a sieve not only with moisture but air movement then all the assumptions yep. around your star rate how you started the, the build is just completely of, wrong for, from the get-go yeah correct that's right um the other thing too is i think that there's a lot of confusion in and around that whole um, compliance and what's now being called weather-resistant barriers and airtight barriers and what that actually looks like in the way of products and systems. If I really dumb it down, right, there's probably like three or four key things to think about. So the first thing is, it depends on the style of house you build, right? If you're building a brick veneer house and you've got no other cladding or you've got a, um, a hebel or a masonry type home, you've got no other cladding, so long as you're minimizing the number of penetrations and you're wrapping your house nice and tight and you're sealing it up properly and you're following AS4200 part two, which is the standard for pliable membranes in buildings, um, no problem. You can use pretty much the same wrap that we've been using for almost 50 years in this country without problem. But where this process seems to go astray is when we start building houses that for all the right architectural and aesthetic reasons have multiple cladding types. And so what tends to happen is all of a sudden, uh, oh, we'll do a, um, 
vapor permeable wrap here and an old fashioned wrap there. Um, and then the dilemma kicks in. Well, two issues. Uh, if there's a failure, what product failed? Um, and then the second part to that is, you know, what's the warranty <laughs> and who's responsible? Like? Um, so the approach, that, yeah, that's right. So we've taken the approach with all of our clients of kind of saying, look, best practice is if you've got a, if you've got a project that's got multiple cladding types on it, wrap it with the vapor permeable, um, insulate it properly, um, minimize your risk because the cost difference between one and the other. And here's the funny part. We only did some of this math about 12 months ago because we did have a few clients who kind of insisted on it and said, oh, the other the other paper is, you know, lower cost. But by the time we actually taped it, joined it, rolled it out, an extra stud space and everything else and joined it off appropriately and everything else, honestly, the labour cost <laughs> that was involved in doing the, that versus one continuous membrane it probably ultimately oh. added up to be within one or two percent. So most of almost I can't think of a single builder we deal with now who utilizes two different materials in the one space, yeah. other than by client specification. So that's pretty rare, right? Um, the second part to that um, is then sort of, I guess it's it's ultimately almost about. Um, really making sure that you're wrapping the building before any windows or doors go in. And that when you do that, if the building already has all its rough-ins in, so air conditioning pipes, plumbing, electrical poking out, that when it's being installed, mm -hmm. the smallest holes possible are being put in, those products, th those services are being pushed through or pulled through, um, and then they're taped gasketed or grommeted, one of the pr providers that we use for, and in fact, our biggest um, provider of WRBs and airtight barriers, um, they actually have prefabricated grommets, tapes, patches to go over where services protrude yep. that they warrant as part of a system, right? That's that's how technical this stuff's getting, um, to do it right. Um, and ultimately, that then you know, means that you're in line with the standard. You're probably really even excessive of the standard in some ways. Um, but the last one is, is the whole making sure all of your trades are educated on this. So what I mean by that is uh, one of the builders that we deal with that they've had, and I mean, it's hard, right? Because it's about what someone's level of responsibility is and what the scope of their work is. So as an example, uh, and I'm not That's singling fine. anyone here. I've just got to give an example. Uh, if I'm a plumber, if I'm a plumber uh, and I'm coming and, and I'm doing my rough in after the wrap is installed, um, which does happen from time to time, I'm doing my rough in after the wrap's installed uh, and you've got a 90 millimeter piece of pipe to put through. Uh, it's probably not necessary to cut a, cut a <laughs> hole in the wrap that's a needle on, um, which we see. <laughs> which we see uh and, and and then if you do and then if you do um from a builder's point of view you know part of the builder's uh management process is either to have trades on board with that or to provide those other trades with the tape or the patches or the whatever it happens to be to um to actually seal yep. those joints 
or those penetrations. And then the last part to that, like we've also got a couple of builders, one builder in particular who've embraced this from the get-go. Um, and I mean like three years ago, before this was even an NCC issue really, um, where they've actually given their site supervisor tape and patches and everything else. Um, and when he's doing his, you know, visual inspections before lockup, uh, sorry, before moving to um, okay. cladding being installed, if he sees any penetrations or gaps or anything else, he he runs around for however long it takes him to seal it all up. And in most cases, the feedback I've had from them is it's a 30-minute job per house. So, you know, those are some of the fundamentals that you can really just get this uh, stuff Even with, with what we do, um, and it's sorry not, to cut you off, yeah, even with what we do, um, and obviously working ventilation, I generally work with roofers, but I also have to work with the builders as well because, you know, you can't, install ventilation without ventilation at the eaves yeah. and the roof, the roof is not going to touch the eaves or anything like that. Right. So you, you're dealing with multiple trades, but as simple as something like a roof, sometimes the guy that puts on the batten is not the guy that lays the sheeting. He's not the guy that does the ridge and to install our product correctly, you have yeah. to, from the batten stage, have the batten in the right spot. So sometimes the guys come on to do all the yeah. flashings and he's like, well, I can't yep. install it properly because the batten wasn't put in the right place. I don't have the right, the, the sheet hasn't been laid correctly. And now I'm here trying to fix yep. everything. And it's, that's a hundred percent the case. It's just this miscommunication between, between trades or between, um, in the, even within the trade itself. Um, you've got to try and as from a building perspective, I know it's hard, but educate yep. that your entire pipeline of workers, this is the expectation. And this is what we need to do to achieve what the result that we want. That's right. And look, here's the thing I would say. Um, in 2019, the NCC changed when it came to condensation in that it actually stipulated very clearly the adoption of AS4200 Part uh, part 2, I think, Part 2. <laughs> I lose track of the parts, Chris, but the one dealing with installation. And um, I guess the point being is um, if you're a builder that's already following that, you're honestly 99% yep. of the way there, right? So NCC 2022-2023 in and around condensation management, you, you're probably a good chunk of the way there. It's really the one percenters. You know, we hear sporting coaches talk about the one percenters and business coaches talk about the one percenters and CEOs talk about the one percenters making the difference between a good result and a fantastic result. Um. Those one percenters uh, is that education and engagement of other trades working for them. And it's also, if it's not that, it's education and engagement of site supervisors. Or if you don't want to do it that way, look at it and say, look, I, I do a lot of business with a with someone like Neuroc who, you know, amongst other things, we supply and fix some of these products. Um, but there's multiple of those around the country. Um Talk to them about commercially what it's worth as they're doing their rounds for you to, you know, come back and make sure that all the penetrations are sealed up and taken care of. You might be surprised as to what the real cost is. You might figure out that's actually cheaper than utilising anyone else to. I don't know. But the point being is it's not a big stretch. And then, sorry, and then the link to your original question, which is the importance in and around energy efficiency. So you get all that right. You create the perfect platform then from an air changes point of view, you create perfect changes from a whole house point of view that then you insulate the home 
and when you're insulating the home, the key thing to it is is really just installing to um, the manufacturer's requirements, all of which mirror um, AS3, uh, 1994, hasn't changed since 1994, which basically means install the bats, you know, in the walls that are required. And when you do, it should look neat. It shouldn't be protruding. There shouldn't be gaps. Gaps is a huge killer. Like a 20 or 30 millimetre gap can make a massive difference. Um, I was looking at a program the other night on TV and I looked at an insulation install job that they put up and I was like, right, well, yep, that's pretty terrible. Um, so, you know, those those things really do make uh, a big difference. So, and then I think the other side to that is if you're not using a business like us, make sure that who whoever is installing it, whatever other trade is installing it, they're not just flicking it to the apprentice because yep. no one wants to get itchy. Um, actually giving it to someone who has, you know, a care factor for what it's about and does it right. Uh, because we do see that in a lot of the builds. Well, I wouldn't say a lot. We do see that in a percentage of the builds that we view day to day in our rounds and dealing with clients um, where the install work just isn't where it should be. So you get those two components right. Uh, massively yeah, different result to doing it wrong. Um, so we're sort of onto the last couple of questions that I'll take you through. I know that's been a, a bit of a long one, but um, no, no, yep. it's, it's fine. Mate, I'll, I'll try it. to um, be quick. Lots of good content out there. So, uh, so obviously I work in ventilation. Um, it, there's seems to be a little bit of a, uh, yep. how would I say, miseducation about ventilation in its entirety. I know you deal with it pretty much on a day-to-day basis with what you do in insulation. Yep. So they, I know they work somewhat hand-in-hand, but obviously some to what um, the, the conception is that they work really against each other. Um, what's your experience in ventilation and how do you approach to that uh, within your business at the moment? Look, I think in terms of... Um... I think in terms of ventilation, it's it's really a must if you're trying to minimise condensation. And I think if, particularly if you, and I mean, um, I'll, I'll, I'll probably sound like I'm fobbing it off, but I'm not super familiar with ventilation in the colder yep. states, so I'll talk about what I know. But uh, if I look at, say, the principles of insulation in the Queensland market, and, and I guess whilst, you know, Queensland is regarded... Uh, you know, as being a temperate and tropical climate, there's a lot of the East Coast that is still temperate. And so ventilation still plays an important role. Um, So the thing I would say is that um, think about the dynamics just from a practical point of view of what's going on under the roof. So uh, ideally, if we're going down the path of building to best practice, you're probably going to have some kind of insulation directly under the roof. Uh, some kind of metal roofing blanket uh, with a foil face or some other membrane involved in the process from a vapour permeability and moisture management point of view. And then you're going to have, um, certainly for most dwellings, ceiling bats on the ceiling. Now, the thing is um, that usually that's a fairly tight space. Uh, And in modern homes, it's even tighter because we've all decided (laughs) we love flat and skillion roofs, which is fantastic. Uh, but flat and skillion roofs have two issues. Number one, they're actually more prone to condensation problems. Uh, and number two, uh, particularly if you get the colour choice wrong and the ventilation wrong. And number two, the other part that goes with that is that um, just thinking about it from a practical point of view, if you are in, say, 
temperate climate or a tropical climate. You've got this tiny little space. We all know how hot they are when you get up inside them. So the analogy that I use with people is, would you rather have an insulated building uh, where when you step into it, it feels like an oven? Or would you rather have an insulated building when you step into that ceiling void, feels like an oven with the door open? Um, and the oven with the door open is far more preferable because when you step into it, it's not quite as as uh, confronting. So what the, what the uh, ventilation is essentially doing is it's actually helping the insulation uh, performance role. So they're not working against each other. They're actually helping each other from a practical point of view and from a building science point of view. At the end of the day, you know, we talk about R values in insulation and most people don't even know what R stands for. R stands for resistance, right? Eventually, when you insulate a house, at some juncture in time, and this is just pure building science, at some juncture in time, depending on how hot it is, how cold it is, doesn't matter what the circumstance, essentially the insulation is loaded to the point it, it you know, its thermal resistance has reached capacity. Now that doesn't happen very often, but it does in extreme heat or it does in extreme cold. Point being, con uh, ventilation assists that. It reduces uh, the load that the insulation is bearing by itself. And so air movement and convection actually takes out some of that heated air and therefore stops the insulation re-emitting any of that heat into other parts of the structure. So there's a massive gain by ventilation, ventilating property. Where um, I think some of the con confusion in and around uh, ventilation has come from probably goes back a long way to where uh, return air mm -hmm. was very popular in commercial buildings. Um, and people have confused return air and uh freshly ventilated air from outside and therefore also the convection that comes from uh, having ventilation on a roof no. as the two things. And they're just not, they're just not. So I think um, mainly myth <laughs> uh, and from a building science point of view, um, a lot of the building scientists and engineers that I've spoken to in the last, you know, several years all talk about ventilation as being a positive. So Absolutely. And I just find it so on. confusing <laughs> when I talk to people. And, and again, I think it's lack of education, lack of awareness, a, a bunch of all that. The, the building science thing for a builder is actually a little bit foreign. And that's something that as a consumer, you need to kind of get your head around is that sometimes yeah. they're stepping their way through it too. And as industry experts... Yeah, what we've got to try and do is obviously yep. educate those guys to make sure they know that what that the choices that they're making are good for them and of course their clients. So um moving on, so technology. Um it seems to be the future of the industry. Everyone's sort of buzzing around. I know on our I don't know if you caught our episode last week, but Damien was mentioning um you know AI technology with drones that you can actually fly yeah. over. They actually determine the hot spots and dampness in your roof and can do roof reports directly from a drone, which is just crazy. Um <laughs> But yeah, what sort of technology is coming yeah. into this space yeah. at the moment and, and how do you see it moving forward? Look, probably akin to what Damien's talking about. Um, you know, a thing that has probably really only been engaged in the southern states um, has more been um, has more been thermal imaging. So actually thermally imaging buildings. Um, and I think we've all, you know, looked at home improvement channels on on TV from time to time, and it's a show from North America or the UK, and someone's got a thermal imaging camera and 
throwing up how poorly it's insulated or what's going on with the building. Uh, that has certainly started in the southern states, um, and I, particularly Victoria, Definitely. I think that's quite becoming quite commonplace. Um, and I, you know, and I ultimately see that moving its way north. The other thing too that um, I think is only going to become um, more and more important, and we've kind of touched on it a couple of times today. We've talked about that whole air tightness issue, and um, one thing that I wouldn't say it's commonly done, but it's more and more commonly happening, particularly in Victoria, is uh, what they call yep. blow and door tests. So essentially, they blow air into the building and they measure how much it leaks. Um, I believe that Woolworths nationally on any new builds actually wow. blow and door tests their new builds. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, and uh, to the point, like, I believe they actually did that to their, one of their new warehouse facilities here in Brisbane a year or so ago. Uh, so that's that's you know that shows that that the top end of town is taking this stuff really seriously and they understand the cost cost implications to them and running. Well, it makes sense from a Woolworths perspective, right? right? Because they would obviously be storing, I assume, you know, large volumes of food and wares and things like that that are that have. Yeah, fast-moving consumer goods. Oh, totally. So things like condensation or anything like that is a massive issue that they do not want to deal with. So that makes sense. Um, yeah. Well, and if, and if you think what we essentially build these days, uh, and I've heard other people use this terminology, so I don't think I'm the first. Um, really, <laughs> these days, we build large fridges. You know, the buildings are super insulated and they're air conditioned or refrigerated or, you know, I guess the antithesis of that being heated. But either way, you're building a box that's super insulated that's got a cold or hot in it. Um, and so that being the case, if you're wanting to maintain that, then a great way to manage that is actually reduce the amount of um, uh, air changes to the point that it's yep. healthy, but not leaking like a sieve. So... Yeah, so blower door testing I actually see is becoming far more relevant. Um, I think the other thing, um, you know, touching on the condensation point, and, and one thing we haven't really touched on today that I, you know, is a, probably a whole other discussion again, um, and, and I'm the far <laughs> least qualified guy in the room to talk about it compared to some others, but uh, one of the things a lot of people haven't even talked about to do with the NCC and health and sustainability is actually the issue of mould management and mould mitigation as part of health and amenity linked to condensation. So the very, very brief version is uh, the goal for everyone on an index of one to five should be one because three is a pass. But what you need to think about is it needs to, the building needs to maintain three over the life of its. And there's actually a verification method for that. Not start at three. And just there's there's actually a, a verification up. method stipulated in the NCC for that, right? That came through in the NCC 2019, I believe. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, prob probably did, but where, where, te where technology is engaging in that space is there's now actually a couple of software platforms out available to do that. Um, and I'll, I'll quite unashamedly give ourselves a plug and say that we're one of the companies in Queensland Excellent. that will be adopting that technology as a way to mitigate mould 
uh, for builders and homeowners and also to assist them in uh, dealing with getting their condensation management right. So that that is new technology that's coming into the marketplace. And, you know, I think you know, I really, you know, I've had some uh, initial discussions with a couple of builders that we deal with about that technology and they're pretty excited. Well, so uh, it's it's good to see people are looking at it and saying, well, if, if we need to do something different. Let's yeah, and it makes sense from a building smart. perspective so. as well. Like you, you have this clause that you're not sure really how to achieve it. You've got a company here that goes, okay, well, if you're not sure how to achieve it, what are you doing for that? Let me run this test to see whether what you have done is enough to achieve the result that you want. Yeah. Um, and then they can fall back on that and say, yeah, well, I've done, I've done yeah. what I needed to for this building to achieve the standard, the, the minimum standard, which we adhere to. So um, I love that. That's awesome. That That's great. Right. Um, that's right. Yeah. But, but technology, technology is going to become more and more part of that space. Um, So last question, uh, we'll round up here, but, um, obviously we have addressed in the room that there's definitely a lack of knowledge in the industry. Uh, I think well over the board, do you have any advice or thoughts on the topic on how to encourage builders to get more informed or any methods? Um, that we're not currently using to encourage builders to take on board changes a lot more easily, um, to be more susceptible to change and to be adhering to it? Or is it pretty much every builder is going to do it their own way anyway and it's probably not much that we can do in that space? I, I think that, you know, you navigate the NCC and if you really, really run down the rabbit hole, oh, yeah. you can scare yourself a fair bit, pure and simple particularly if it's not something that you do every day. I mean, even as a builder, you're not sitting there reading the NCC on a daily basis. You're relying on experts to help you navigate it so that you can build something, right? That's that's the nature of the beast. So use that, um, you know, rather than uh, sort of listening to the media, listening to the chat yep. at the pub with the guys on a Friday and scaring yourself silly because you know, such and such heard such and such say this and what, who cares? So I guess the message is by all means, um, accept the change for what it is, which is that it's a significant change, but please engage the people that you choose to buy from. So talk to your insulation supplier, condensation management supplier, talk to your certifier, talk to your Nathurs professional, talk to your glazing supplier or suppliers, um, talk to you guys about the ventilation side of things. And look, what I'd really encourage people to do, and I know, I know, like if you're a builder who builds, I don't know, say five houses a year, you might think no one wants to sit down and do that for me uh, because I only build five houses no. a year. That's not my experience. Most of the people that uh, we talk to at, events that suppliers are present at, at um, you know, trade functions, when we go and talk to builders that range from small builders to large builders, uh, the general feedback is that most reputable, larger, engaged suppliers and uh, providers of expertise and services, they want their builders to have a win. They want the homeowner to have a win. And so the best way to achieve that is actually probably a round table discussion where you work together to figure out the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, do I think that's a silver bullet? No. Do I think that that provides a cookie cutter environment? No, 
because what you're really doing is you're creating a scenario where you maybe, you know, practical example. Uh, I've got one client who at the moment, they're modeling two or three of their different designs yep. with the worst case scenario. And they're using that as a sample to kind of say, here's what it costs me to build our homes in the worst case scenario based on the geography we work with. Out of that, they're then developing their insulation package, their condensation management package, their glazing package. They're talking to their um, appliance providers, solar panel providers, everyone in the chain to kind of go, this is what we've got to do to get it right. So um, I guess going back to your question, what's the easy way to get access? Pick up the phone and ring your suppliers. Pick up the phone and ring your ex your expert providers of NATHERS and certification and engage them in the discussion. And the other bit of advice I'd provide is if that's not what that person is interested in, <laughs> start looking for Absolutely. Because, because ultimately, I mean, look, we do the same with the suppliers that we deal with. So we obviously have raw material suppliers and manufacturers that we deal with. Um, and we're pretty upfront with them. Um, from day one, when, when we first start talking to them, we're like, we're in a partnership. If you're on board with the partnership, great. If you're not, leave it out. Um, so I, I, I would encourage those in the building profession to take the same approach. Engage with the people who are interested in helping you um, because there's plenty of knowledge out there. Look, the other thing is too, um, don't be afraid if a supplier says to you, I don't know that. What the next words you need to listen for are, I don't know that, Absolutely. but I'll go find out for you and come back to you. Yeah, and and that's perfectly acceptable because just as for the builders, there's just as for the builders, there's a lot of change. There's also a lot of change for the suppliers who can't possibly know it all. Um, it's more about getting people who are willing to learn and, and travel the yeah, travel a, the journey with you. So that would probably be my. It's an ever evolving thing. The the entire industry. So yeah, you can't expect people to know everything at all times. But uh, the people that you deal with should be able to at least provide a solution once they go away and do some research. Talk to their guys and get that back to you. So I 100% agree with you on that point. Um, look, dude, absolutely fantastic chat that we had um i always love talking to you so this was really engaging for me i've learned a lot i know that our listeners have learned a lot as well um where can people find you mate if they want to hit you up and um and and the business of course well very very easy so um first thing is uh our website which is new rock and new rock just to be really clear is spelt n-e-u-r-o-c-k dot com dot au so new rock n-e-u-r-o-c-k.com dot au needless to say a few people have spelt that wrong over the years and got it wrong so you can find us new rock.com dot au um you can ring our office on one three hundred four seven nine zero nine seven uh or you can call me on my mobile uh, and i don't mind sharing it um hopefully no one rings <laughs> and gives me an earful about what i've said today uh oh four double eight one three four nine zero four that's 0488134904. And, um, you know, if I'm not the right person to, to help you or assist you, I'm certainly more than willing to um, pass you on to others that are or share my knowledge base of contacts that I think. Absolutely. 25 years in the right industry space. experience. So, I'm sure you've met all the right people along the way. So that, uh, that does help. <laughs> Fantastic. 
All right, mate. Well, thank you very much for coming on board. Um, And thanks to our listeners out there for catching us up for this episode. Uh, Look forward to you guys, uh, to to hearing, seeing you guys in the next one and I'll catch you soon. Oh, 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 oh